I invite you to John chapter 4, and we're going to see an incredible story today. One of my favorite, and I think it's, it, today's going to be an introduction. I'm not going to lie to you. It's just going to be an introduction to next week, uh, or the week after, I should say. But as we look here, uh, let me just, as you're turning there, I want to share a story with you I thought was pretty cute. I read this week. It's about a little girl. Aren't you thankful for the compassion of daughters? Sometimes they're a little ornery, I know. But daughters are special, and they win their mamas and their daddy's heart in a different way than little boys. Boys, you pick them up and you throw them against the wall. They laugh and they think it's funny. But little girls, they come to you with sweet compassion and loving, and it's just a sweet thing. A little girl was worried about her mama who was sick, and so she tried to do everything she could to take care of her. And so she was trying to make her mom feel more comfortable in bed and brought her extra pillows, and, and she slipped into the kitchen, and, and she made her mom some hot tea. Oh, isn't that sweet of her? Her dad was out uh, and uh, had to go to work, and so he, she was there with him and uh, with her mom. And, and so she was trying to do everything she could to help her mom feel comfortable. And so she brought this cup and this saucer in the, in, into the bedroom, and she said it, gave it to her mom, and her mom took a drink, and she said, Honey, thank you so much, and I appreciate this. She, and, and her daughter said, beamed with pride, and she said, Thank you, Mom. She'd never done it before. She said, I didn't know how you make tea, but she said, I just kind of watched before, and I tried to do it the best I could. I boiled the water. I put the tea leaves in it, just like you always do. And the mom listened real closely while she's just sipping her tea away. And the little, little girl continued, and she said, I couldn't find the little stringer, the strainer thingy you used, so I used the fly swatter. <laughs> of course, at this point, she nearly spits out the tea. And she said, you used the what? And she, the little girl said, oh, don't worry, Mom. I didn't use your new one. I wouldn't want to ruin that one. I used the old one. <laughs> Oh, sweet compassion our dear little ones have for our, their mothers and fathers. I'm thankful for people who are compassionate. I'm thankful for people who have love in their hearts toward others. And I was, I was reading about one person. It says, one of life's major mistakes is being the last member in the family to come down with the flu because after that, all the compassion is run out. Yeah. And, amen, that's true. And it's always the mamas, isn't it, Denise? You're the last one to get it. You know, I'm just thankful that we have this opportunity to see in Jesus today his incredible compassion. And as we look at uh, this, this time together with Jesus, and we've been journeying together with Jesus through the book of John, and we've seen his compassion uh, here at the well, and what an incredible place that we have to meet with him today. Because this is in a place where no self-respecting Jew would ever want to find himself, but this is where we find our Savior. And it is here that Christ was willing to just to talk to a woman at a well. One person said, as we come to John 4, there could be hardly a greater contrast between John 3, Nicodemus, and John 4, the woman at the well. One was a man, the other a woman. One was a Jew, the other a Samaritan. The one was a respected ruler, the other a social outcast. The one was seen as a moral man, the other an immoral woman. The one came to Jesus by night, the other came at midday. The one had no arguments, only a wondering of how. The other was full of questions and debates. The one was cautious, the other was bold. One did not seem to know what he wanted, the other knew only too well. The one fades out of the story unnoticed, the other went back to her crowd and brought them all to Jesus. The one we hear of again, and the other fades into obscurity. This is John 4 as we come. It's a story we probably know well. I know I've heard in my lifetime probably countless story messages 
preached on John chapter 4, but today as we begin to look at John 4, I hope that you can see yourself in the woman at the well. Let's look together at the Scriptures and be encouraged by what Christ has offered to us today. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized, baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meats. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. So Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy, thy husband, and that thou saidest thou truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all, all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Let us stop and pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Lord, for the compassion you poured out here at this woman at the well. And God, as we just uh, choose, Lord, to come near to you today, would you help us to remove inhibitions, Lord, things that may hinder the Spirit of God from working and, and, and allowing us to be submissive to your will. God, I pray that your power would come forth in this service today, and that, Lord, through the, the wonderful uh, word of God, Lord, that we might be changed by what you have here for us. Lord, we just pray that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here at this text, it is truly in a beautiful text of Scripture. Because we see the hope of God on full display in a life that was truly undeserving. But in this text, 
we see the incredible grace of God that is sufficient to offer forgiveness, not just for one, one woman at the well, but for all men. And as we begin today, I want to share with you that this is just a beginning, as I said a minute ago. It's just an introduction as we prepare the way to really see what God has shared in the discussion later, uh, later in the next message. But look in verses number 1 through 8. It's going to where we're going to be focusing today as we look at this essential detour that Jesus had. As we look at this passage, we find that Christ took a detour away from the ordinary way. Now, this detour was part of a specific plan. It's not like, oh, there was a roadblock. The Lord seems to have indicated that it was His, uh, His plan, His desire to go through Samaria. If you look at verse 4, it says, And He must needs go through Samaria. Now, the Lord seems to have left the area where His disciples were baptizing. And if you look at verse number 1, it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus Himself baptized not but His disciples, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. You see, there was a conflict that had arisen. Remember John chapter 3, we talked about John the Baptist and willingly submitted to Jesus Christ. And He said, He must increase and I must uh, decrease. Make sure I said that right. But as, as John recognized there was a conflict and the Jews were stirring the pot and they were trying to bring some jealousy and, and John said, listen, I, I don't want anything to do with the jealousy. It's not about me anyway, it's about him. He's the Messiah. And so when Jesus came on the seat, again, we see this spirit of humility in Christ as he said, listen, uh, we're just going to move our ministry so there's no conflict here and we'll be willing to move down the road. There's, there's plenty of people to be able to minister to. And so the, the Lord left the area where his disciples were baptizing so he could avoid a collision with the Pharisees and avoid this collision with those Jews that were trying to stir up the pot and, and cause problems. Maybe his disciples wanted to jump into the controversy. Uh, we don't know that kind of the Bible leaves us out here. But his, his intentions, it, we see that he desires... Uh, not to cause issues and rifts between him and John. I love the fact that John was willing to say, he must increase and I must decrease, and that the mind of Christ was such that, listen, it's no problem. We're going to continue to minister over here. What a, great, uh, what a great spirit that these two had in their ministry. You know, sometimes we, we get concerned about, well, my ministry needs to be bigger than that ministry or whatever. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. And when we have that as a Sunday school teacher, we have that as a, in a ministry mindset, then what happens is, then it doesn't matter if I get the glory, it doesn't matter if anybody notices what I do, but instead it's all about as long as God gets the glory for everything. And so we see this even played out right at the beginning of John chapter 4, but it, it was in this moment that God used this and He said, listen, I've got a purpose to be in Samaria anyway. There is a calling, there is a, there is a reason that I must be there. Too often we find ourselves eager, eager to jump into, some, uh, jump into some sort of a fracas with another church believer. Sometimes churches argue and bicker over the funniest things. You ever notice that? Colors of walls or toilet papers or all kinds of different things. We can argue about things. I heard a story of a church one time that argued over a box of paper clips. Man, that's a sad thing to argue about. It reminds me of Christ's rebuke to the Pharisees. And he says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 42... But woe to you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over the judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and left the other undone. Listen, sometimes we get so worried about this little thing over here, but the real crucial, cru uh, real crucial thing has sometimes gotten left undone. Man, Jesus came to save sinners. 
And we see that played out incredibly here in John 4. As he talks about this woman at the well, we see his compassion, we see his love, and we see this, his desire here in this moment to, to show his, uh, his salvation to all those who would believe, even to a Samaritan. So there was a necessary way, a necessary direction he needed to travel. And as we pick up, it says, He left Judea, departed again into Galilee, and must needs go through Samaria. Now, there is a world of meaning behind this, this phrase, he must needs go through Samaria. Typically, pious Jews would walk around Samaria, which caused them an extra three days journey. Matter of fact, I've got a picture of a little map here. Maybe. Next slide. There he is, maybe. It's, I think we're having some computer, computer things back there. All right, so right here in this map, you can kind of see he was down in Judea where he was baptizing. He was going to go up into Galilee, but instead of going around, crossing the Jordan River on this, uh, this right side of the image here, we see that he chose instead to go straight up through into Sychar. Now, pious Jews would be, we don't want anything to do with a Samaritan. Sometimes... And a recognized Christian, sometimes we can have this spirit. So I want to caution against this. If you were in a hurry, you could save three days' journey. You go from Judea to Galilee, you can go three days straight up, and it would save you three days to, to get through that, that space. But we don't see that Christ was in a hurry. We don't see that he was pressing for time. We don't see anything. But instead, we see that he had a call, a person that he needed to meet in Sychar there, which was in the heart of Samaria. This was a deeper reason than just being in a hurry. It was an inner constraint of love and obedience that compelled him to meet this woman. We don't even know her name. We just know her as the woman at the well. He knew that these people in Samaria were ignorant of the truth. He knew that they were hungry and the Father had sent them into the world. Listen, he could not in his ministry just avoid these people. He couldn't just avoid him and say, well, somebody else will take care of him. Instead, he had a call, a desire, a longing to share the truth with these people in Samaria. So what's the big deal? Well, let me give you a little Bible history, if I can, to go back a little bit. And you can look at a couple places in your Bible if you want to. And we can learn a little bit more about the animosity that grew up between the Jews and the Samaritans. Any Jew could give a perfectly valid reason for their anger or for their separation from the Samaritans. After all, these were the people uh, that were descendants of those who had uh, been deported or, or killed in the fall of the northern kingdom. So look at 2 Kings chapter 17 with me. It will not be on the screen. You'll have to use your Bibles for this. I wanted to engage a little bit. So grab your Bible, 2 Kings 17, and verse number, uh, 2 Kings 17, verse 23. It says, For the children of Israel walked in the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they departed not from them. This is the northern kingdom then. This is that area where Samaria would have been in the map there. And these folks followed after the sins of Jeroboam. It says, Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land unto Assyria unto this day. And so what happened was these Samaritans were descendants of those who had not been deported, who had not been killed, and they had intermarried with other Babylonians and Assyrians that had moved into their nation. And so these people were looked upon as unclean. They were looked upon as traitors to Jewish blood. The Samaritans also were confused. They were even heretical in their religious beliefs. 
After dividing the kingdom, we see that, as we just read, Jeroboam set up a false gods. And he set up false worship in the northern kingdom because he did not want the people in the north to go back to Judah and to align their hearts back with Judah. And so Jeroboam and his animosity said, listen, we're just going to set up some gods here in the northern kingdom, and then that'll be good enough, and we'll just we'll make sure that, uh, that we have our God they can worship so they don't have to go to Judah to go to the temple and worship. It was a terrible thing, and this perpetuated, and we see the northern kingdom was, was punished as a result of this terrible sin, and this sin of rebelling against God and against His truth and rebelling against all that they had been, been taught. And so... These people in Samaria were descendants of that downward spiral. They were descendants of this false worship and this false religion. And eventually, they didn't just worship the gods that Jeroboam set up, but they brought in other gods. Gods of Baal and the, god, the, uh, the, the Egyptian calves to worship them and many other gods. And so they became polytheistic, which means a worship of many gods. But it during their history, we see where God took them into exile. Both the northern and southern kingdom both went into exile. They were in uh, the southern kingdom went, was taken into exile by Babylon, the northern kingdom by the Assyria. But as they were there, God began to work in hearts of the Jews, and they began to repent, and they began to come back to the truth. But the people of Samaria never really came all the way back, and they claimed to worship Jehovah, but they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Pentateuch. And so they cut themselves off from the riches of all the Old Testament. And as a result of this, this, uh, this time in their life, they missed out on God's rich blessings. And as a result, Jews would reject them. They would say, listen, you're uh, heretical. We don't want anything to do with you. And so they would go out of their way to avoid them. But the Samaritans were not completely innocent either. The Samaritans also had hostile feelings toward the Jews. Look in Ezra chapter 4 and verse number 2. You see, during the time of rebuilding in Ezra and Nehemiah, what we find is there was a time when uh, there was some uh, hostilities arose because these uh, Samaritans desired to help rebuild the temple. And so in Ezra chapter 4 and verse number 2, we see where that is beginning to happen. And so they offered to help in this rebuilding of the temple. Then came they, uh, excuse me, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of uh, Ezra Hadon, the king of Asher, which brought us up thither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us, to build an house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. And so we see then that, even starting in verse number 3, that they begin with their animosity, and it says, and Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them. And so there was obviously some hostility there. And this hostility carried over for centuries. It wasn't just forgotten overnight. One thing about a Jew, they never forget. But we see here that, that both the groups of people then, there was some anger. There was some, some desire to get back. And so they did what they could. So the Samaritans, uh, then they said, well, we just won't come to Jerusalem and worship. We won't come to, uh, to your temple and then we'll build our own. And so they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, which you see pictured right there next to Sychar. And not yet quite, uh, but appreciate that. That was good. We'll get to Jacob's well in just a minute. Uh, but as we see that, we see that 
on the map there, just right next to Sychar, there is the Mount Gerizim where they built their own temple. And they began to worship in this own, their own place. This was built about 400 B.C., so 400 years before Christ. But in 128 years before Christ, the Jews came in and they burned it, creating even more tension between these two groups of people. There was even times when Jews would travel through that territory and the Samaritans would find occasion to detain them, to arrest them. And so it was no wonder that these Jews would do everything they could to avoid contact with these people. But not Jesus. But not Jesus. You see, he said, but I must needs go through Samaria. You don't understand. There's a calling. There's a purpose. There's a reason. There's a person there. And so he arrives at the town of Sychar, and it is here that we find Jacob's well. Now you can put that up. And Jacob purchased this field right here around Sychar uh, in Genesis chapter 33. You can read about that in verses 18 and 19. And this structure was built about 3,800 years ago and is one of the few sites that is undisputed in, in Israel today. You, you go where people say it's Golgotha. Well, that's Golgotha. And someone says, well, that's not Golgotha. This is Golgotha. Well, this is where he was buried. Well, that's not the tomb. This is the tomb over here. But this is something that's universally agreed upon, that this is Jacob's well. And there's another closer picture, looking a little, a little closer there at it. When its original construction, it was about 105 feet deep and about... Uh, uh, seven and a half feet in width, and it has been changed and adapted over the years, and it was measured, uh, that measurement was from 1697. But this, this place was a very special place uh, because of the history that was there. And when Jesus came to Sychar, there was a place explicit with history. Jacob's well was there where he met the woman. But not far from there, just a few hundred yards, was Joseph's tomb. Joseph, who was God, used of God to, to be able to protect uh, not only Egypt, but all of Israel, he was buried not far from this place. And it is here in the middle of the day, which is the sixth hour, we are blessed to see the humanity of Christ on full display. Because if you look back in your Bible, in John chapter 4, verse, uh, verse number 5, it says, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. Isn't it incredible to know that Jesus was human? Now we've been, I've been preaching for several weeks that Jesus is 100% God. So if you're visiting with me today, don't think that I'm saying that Jesus is only human. He is 100% God, he's 100% human. He is both. And none of us will ever be both. Only Jesus was able to be both because He is the eternal Son of God. And we see this on this day, though that His humanity is, is just portrayed as He was wearied and He sat down at the well. The sun would have been extremely hot at this time of the day. Weary travelers, especially those that were, that were thirsty, would have desired water. And at this point, traveling, he didn't have a bucket, didn't have any way to, to go down the well. You can see at this particular time that there is a bucket that you can draw water from uh, and, and, pour, and set it there and use your, your cup and dip it out of or your ladle. And you see that, that now that's provided in this structure that they have built around it is actually a, a temple, if I'm not mistaken. And as we look at this, it looks a little different than it would have in Christ's day. But as he sat on the edge of this, this woman said, how are you going to get water? You don't have a bucket. But Christ had an appointment. And it was here in the middle of the, of the day, the hottest part of the day, that Jesus met this woman. But we see first, he was wearied. The disciples had gone on ahead of him. They said, he said, listen, I'm going to sit here at the well. 
I'm tired. Can you picture this? Our, our Savior being tired enough to say, y'all go into the city, I'm going to sit here at the well. You know what it reminds me of? He was really just as much, he was really and truly man, and he was really and truly God. But I love what, what one commentator said. He said, the Lord Jesus was perfect man. He ate, drank, labored, slept, prayed, and wept. The Savior knew what it was to be weary, not weary of well-doing, but weary in well-doing. What a big difference that is. But it is blessed to see how the Holy Spirit has guarded the glory of Christ's person here side by side with His word upon His humanity. We are shown His divine omniscience revealed in His perfect knowledge of the history of the woman with whom He dwelt at the well. This principle meets us at every turn in the Gospels. And he gives several examples. As he, at, at his birth, we behold his humiliation lying in a manger. But we discover his divine glory too. For the angels were sent to announce the one born as Christ the Lord. See him asleep in the boat, exhausted from the toil of a heavy day's work. But mark the sequel as he rises and he stills the storm. Behold him by the grave of Lazarus, groaning in spirit and weeping, and then bow before him and worship as he, by a word from his mouth, brings the dead to life. So it is here, wearied with his journey, and yet displaying his deity by reading the secrets of this woman's heart. That's Jesus today. Let's talk about this lady here. Because as we look at this detour, we see that it was a divine call, a divine set, that God knew that He needed to meet this woman. And so let's talk about her just briefly if we could. Christ is seated at the well, waiting for this meeting with this needy woman. And as she comes in, it was His humanity that drove His disciples to get meat. And it was His humanity that drove Him to ask her for water. And it was His humanity that brought about a conversation that, uh, that, uh, that brought about an eternal change in her life in the life of many others in the city. This is the real reason why Jesus must needs go through Samaria. It says in verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city. And then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou... Being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So here we have this woman introduced here. What is this woman like? Well, the, the, the scripture describes her. And we talked, we read that previously, so I'm just going to highlight some areas. First off, her marital and extramarital relationships. She had multiple marriages, and she was living with a man now she wasn't married to. Seemed to indicate that she, had, she was not really overburdened by any kind of moral compass. She didn't have a lot of moral scruples, if you will. It doesn't take us long to discover that she had a quick mind. She was very quick to retort Christ and everything. You know, he had something, she'd come right back. Maybe that was the defensive nature from her years of living the way she had lived. She had a strange mixture of both error and truth in her religious understanding. This is a woman who truly needed a Savior. And it was in an, in an unusual hour of the day for a woman to draw water, which indicates that she was an outcast. Most women would come to the well either in the early morning or in the evening whenever uh, the, the sun was down and it was cool in the day where they could get that water and not and be so hot. But instead, she was an outcast, rejected by the outcasts. So an outcast of outcasts. No doubt her lifestyle prov provided plenty of fodder for the gossips. Amen? Amen? But here's the truth. 
It was into this woman's life that Christ opens the conversation with a simple request. Give me a drink. I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? Picture this with me. Jesus Christ is, the, is, is God, right? We've established that through the book of John. He makes that very abundantly clear. And if you have missed that, you've missed the whole purpose of it so far. But he goes on to continue to, to demonstrate that through different miracles. But as God, he was the creator of the Nile River. He was the creator of the Mississippi River. He was the, he was the one that filled the Great Lakes with their water. He was the one that designed Niagara Falls. And he sits at Jacob's well and says, give me drink. If he'd so desired, he could have simply spoken. And the water that was down in the well, the spring that had fed that well for centuries, could have bubbled up and come gushing out of the ground. And he would have needed only to bend over and cup his hand and fill his mouth. That is Jesus. And that is the power he contained. But what he realized was, I have a divine appointment with a, meet, with a woman here. A woman who everyone else has forgotten and forsaken. And I, I have this, this appointment by the Father to meet with this woman and share her the truth that can change her life eternally. Remember, just centuries before, this is the one that had brought water from a rock. This is the one who had just days before changed water into wine. This is the one that the devil had challenged to command the stones to become bread. But never once did we see Jesus perform a miracle for himself. Instead of performing the miracle of the hour, he asked her, who was an outcast, can I have a drink? And with this simple request, he begins to break down the barriers that centuries of animosity had begun to build between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, all this is by way of introduction to the story, but I'm going to bring a little bit of conclusion this morning. How do we take this, all of these things and apply it to our life today? You see, the symbol of this woman is a symbol of our age. Lonely, restless, desperately casting about for some kind of a deep belonging going one, from one manipulative arrangement to another, always hoping that this roommate will work out better than the last one. People stumble from relationship to relationship. People seek fulfillment from mind-numbing drugs, and yet people still feel empty. And as Christ looks at this woman, we find that He sees beyond all of the faults in her life, and she sees that her deepest need is the same need that we have today. This woman was an outcast. She needed to belong. We are outcasts because of our sins. And into this chasm of life, we see that, that people are seeking and looking and hoping to find fulfillment in the pleasures that this world offers. But the reality is that only Christ can fill that void. Only the restoration uh, into the presence of God can help you feel whole again. And this is where Christ enters the scene. You may be saying here, Pastor, I'm not as bad as her. I've never had been married five times. I'm not living with someone. But listen, even by one sin, we are forever condemned. And listen to Romans 5.12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, just as Christ entered purposely into Sychar, just as he went purposely to that well, just as he sat there on the side and waited for this woman, so today Christ is here seeking those who may be lost. The reality is, without Jesus Christ, we enter this world lost. I, I remember when my baby was born. Beautiful, 
My first, our first one, we were so excited. Our church family was there loving on us back in the days before COVID. And they brought pizza and they brought soda pop and they brought all, I mean, it was like a party in the, in, in the Cox South there. And we just had a good time together. We had family come up and they, we celebrated together the birth of our first child and it was a glorious time together. But I remember thinking, it's just a dirty, rotten little sinner. <laughs> Theologically, that's correct. As a father, it was nothing like that. As a father, I looked down at this precious child and I said, Lord, what a joy. But the reality is, is when into, just as soon as I enter into this world, I'm, I've got sin that has stained my life. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death, passed, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You see, there's not one of us in here that can say, listen, pastor, I'm okay. There's a book been written years ago that was entitled simply, I'm not okay. What a good statement for my life. I'm not okay. But here's what Jesus did. He came into the life of this outcast. He came into this life of this woman who was re rejected by everyone else. And he said, listen, I know you're not okay, but I'm going to offer you something that will make you there. It's interesting to note that the meeting between the Savior and the Samaritan adulteress occurred at this place called Sychar, which means purchased. Later in the narrative, we find that he offers her uh, this, uh, this water this, the, that brings everlasting life. And this gift was purchased by his sacrificial death on the cross. And so we see in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, it says, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins." You see, because of what Christ did on the cross for you and for me, we now can enter into uh, heaven and enjoy the glories of forgiveness, enjoy the, the glories of redemption. And when Christ laid down his life, his blood was spilt, and he did so, to, to in your place and in my place. You see, He died for us. We deserved it. He did not. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth His love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. For you and for me. And you, if we look at this woman at the well, I'll be honest, when I, when I read about her, I can't help but think, think that without Jesus Christ, I'm just as lonely, just as desperate, just as much as an outcast as this dear, dear woman at the well. And in her, I find hope because Jesus didn't forsake this woman. And today, He won't forsake you either. If you will, by faith, come to Him. Put your faith in Him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I, by faith, I put my trust in you and want to be saved today. See, 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That can be you today. You can be like that woman at the well coming today, thirsty, looking for something to fill that void. And God says, listen, I offer you eternal life. I offer you today the joy of knowing Jesus. I offer you today this hope of water that will cause you to never thirst again. And Christ offers it to every sinner this morning. And this is the hope that is offered today. Would you come? Would you come today? Would you come and say, Pastor, I'm ready to be saved. I'm ready to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm ready to follow you. And so this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you and say, Pastor, today I am that woman at the well. I'm seeking, I'm hungry, I'm desperate for something that would fill the void in my life. And I recognize that today only Jesus will do that. Would you please pray for me? Just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today.